hear me? point of the kinnis today is not to be shorter than saying all of them, but the point is to gain some inspiration, some serious, some understanding of what we're supposed to be doing on a day like today, what we're supposed to be doing every day, but we take one day a year to commemorate and to remember how it's supposed to look versus how it actually looks. Perhaps over the time, we'll explain this, this memory more, but we'll start with something that Rav Nachman of Breslov said. He said that, we say on Tisha B'Av, we say kinnis. Kinnis, we know what it means, it's, the English word is mourning and lamentations, but really what it is, is, the way he explains it is, that the world has to come to a shleimus, the world has to come to a tikkun, the world has to come to a place of perfection, and when it's not, when it's not a tikkun, you take those letter, letters and they're all mixed up and it's not proper, then you end up having kinnis. And the reason you have that is because there's so many questions and there's so many problems that seem to go against everything we think sh- how it should be. Therefore, we sit on the floor and cry, kinnis. But there's so much suffering and pain. Everybody has their own. Nobody can understand necessarily anybody else's pain and suffering. But one thing we all have, and that we have that this in common, this is questions. Lev Yitzchak Badichev, when he had his family over for the Pesach Seder, as the minute is, and everybody at the Seder says the Dalad Kashis, the four questions, the Manashtano, and then when everybody's done, the, the Bala Seder also says the words, because it's also part of the Agada for him. And after everybody said the four questions, Lev Yitzchak Badichev, just stayed quiet and he stayed quiet for what seemed to be an eternity and everybody was sitting there uncomfortably and then Rabbi Yitzhak finally started speaking and he says you think I only have four questions I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions and it's not just about matzah and murder and it's not just about dipping twice I have questions why there's Almana down the street that's being thrown out of her house and I have questions why this person lost a child and I have questions why this person can't have nachas. I have so many questions, Hashem. But I'm going to say as follows. That if all the questions, the answer to them all, is because Avadam Ayinu, then I accept it. But if the questions don't get that answer, then I want answers. We obviously understand that the answer to all the questions that we have is Avadam Ayinu L'Parabah Mitzrayim. Parabah Mitzrayim doesn't mean necessarily to Paroi, but to our evil inclination. Everything that's gone wrong and eventually, eventually this is going to all end. And we're going to get answers to all the questions that we're bothered by. But when we sit here, now, we still have questions. And the Lashon Gemara, when we have a question, what does the Gemara say? Teiku. Teiku is the oisius kinnis, missing the nun. Teiku is the oisius of tikkun, missing the nun. The reason is because we're missing that 50th shar, that level, that understanding of what we're supposed to understand. And we can't understand it. We live in a world of teiku, questions unresolved questions. And we hope that by doing sitting here on the floor today and saying to Kinnis, maybe maybe it's in the wrong order, the letters. But at least there's a nun there. There's some understanding. Something that we can comprehend and take with us. So it's our intent when we go through these Kinnis today, the few that we're gonna go through, but the few that we're gonna make it try to make it meaningful. 
is that we should come to from Kinnis to a Tikkun, to a point of where there's a correction, we can understand and we hope that that will happen real soon. And that's, that's the Kivun over here today. So if it takes longer than you expected, I don't apologize. If it takes shorter than you expected, I don't either. We're going to do what we have to do, and let the chips fall where they may. I'm going to start with Kino Yud Aleph. The Kino that we mention every year, perhaps is a Doiraisa. It's a strong way to say it, but I'll prove it from a Rashi. Rashi, the second to last parak in Tanakh, in Divra Yomim, that's where this kinnis comes from. This kinnis comes from Vayikoyinein Yermiyo al Yashio. The Psukim over there are referring to Yashio al-Melech, who was a righteous king, but he made a mistake, and we discussed over the years the mistake that he made, that he disobeyed the Navi, and he didn't allow Paroi to come through. I'm going to read some of the Psukim inside in Divra Yomim, for this, and then we'll read a Rashi inside. It was the 18th year of King Yeshio, Nasa Pesach They made the carbon Pesach. After all this, after Yeshio repaired the base of Mikdash and everything was seemingly perfect in Klai Yisrael's life. The king of Mitzrayim, his name was Nechoi. He went to go do battle in Karkemish, which is on the Euphrates River. Yeshio HaMelech went out to block him from coming through Eretz because to go from Egypt up to the Euphrates, the easiest path, is through Eretz Yisrael. And he sent the messengers, The king of Egypt said, What do you have with me? I'm not coming to attack you today. There was an alliance, sort of, between, an understanding at least, between Mitzrayim at that point and Malcha Yehuda. I'm going to, to battle somewhere else. Nothing to do with you. I'm just passing through your land. Perhaps he refers to, Rashi over here discusses, he was told by Yishiyo Hanavi to go through the, by Hashem, told him, gave him the, gave him the message to go attack. So what you're doing is you're disturbing me from doing the Dvar Lakim. Stand back, otherwise I'll have to destroy you. But Yeshio didn't back down. He didn't listen, he didn't back down. And there was a terrible battle that ended up happening in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot arrows towards Melech Yeshio, who was a tzaddik. And the king turned to his people on, to the right and to the left of him, and he said, take me away because I'm very sick. Yomar tells us that he was pierced like a sea with 300 arrows through his heart. They took him off the chariot. They put him on a different chariot. They tried to bring him back to Yerushalayim. But he didn't make it. He covered and he was buried in the tomb where all the Malcha Yehuda are buried. And there was a massive mourning and, and period of Avelus <coughs> over the loss of this great Sadiq Yeshio who made this one little mistake, whatever that mistake was. And why that mistake happened, as we discussed in previous years, because 
even though he thought he uprooted the Zarah, but people had it with with tricks where they couldn't find it. And then the Pasuk says, and this is the first words of our Kinnis that we're going to start, and Yermio started mourning. And all those <coughs> that know how to say Kinnis said about Yeshio, they said till today. What does this mean, till today? We're going to continue and we'll come back to translate that word. And this became as a chayk. This became known as a, a rule, a statue in Klai Yisrael. And these are written on the Kinnais. And all the other things about him. And all the things before that and after that. But that passage we have to focus on. It became known as a chayk in Klai Yisrael. Says Rashi. There's ever a time of tragedy, calamity, where they sit down and they cry over the tragedy that occurred. The rule became that we have to mention the Tsar of Yeshua Amelach, that Yemi wrote about him, together with it. Says Rashi, For example, Tishabov. This might be one of the only places where Rashi refers to the tragedies happening in his days, which we'll discuss later on in the Kinnis. Rashi says, for example, the tragedies that are happening now in our times, Rashi is just applying the passage of the Shaiftim that we see the word Chaik. But this became the new rule. And whenever there's a time of mourning, whenever there's a period when we go discuss things of tragedy, we must mention by Yekainin Yemiyoel Yeshio. Vinixuv Malakinos says Rashi Al Sefer Akinos. The Sefer Akinos it's written. He's not referring to our Kinos, but really essentially it is, because every time we have a tragedy, we have to bring it back to this. And the question is obviously why. And over the years we've given different explanations. I don't want to go through that now, but I do want to bring out a different point before we start this, and I think this is more of an overview of what, what we want to attempt to do over here today. The Pasuk says in Yeshayo Perikman Tess, and it's one of the upcoming Haftaris that we're going to lay in during the Shiva and when Hashem is going to try to console us. The Pasuk says, that Yeshaya says, Hashem. says, Hashem has forsaken me. Hashem And He has also forgotten me. And the response to that by HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, how could that be? Can a woman, can a mother forget her child? Even those, sometimes, 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 a mother can forget a child. I gave you the best example of something that doesn't forget, a mother to a child. But even that can happen. says, I never forget. I never forget and I remember everything. What does that Pasuk mean? And how do we understand tragedy in Jewish history, which is so prevalent? Our, our history is so full of different types, and every time we think we've had every type of tragedy, seems to be a new one shows up. So I want to give a little bit of understanding and explanation based on the Rebbe Yonatan Ibishitz, where he explains a sad and scary thought, but if you think about it, a very comforting thought. The Gemara says in Mesechus Brachas Dav Zayin that there's a Mizmar in Tehillim. Mizmar David, the Varchai Ripnei Avshalom Benoi. 
Rabbi Amalek sang a song. He sang a song when he was running away from his child of Shalom who was trying to kill him. You can imagine the, the pain of a parent that their own child tries to murder them, tries to dethrone them. Can't fathom such a thing. There are people that suffer with that. Nabuch. We can't, can't even fathom such a thing. But the Gemara doesn't understand. What does this mean, Mizmar Ladavid? Mizmar Ladavid? Or not saying a song that a child was trying to murder him? Kina Ladavid, me by the Lady Gemara says. Just that he, he lamented that a child tried to kill him. How do you understand? How could he sing a song about a child trying to kill him? The Gemara answers that David Amalek was singing because he know he knew that he was told by the Navi that because of the hate that he did, that there's going to be Romi Beiseich will be Yakum. There'll be somebody from your household that will stand up against you to cause you pain and suffering and perhaps to attempt to kill you. And this was one of the things that he was promised by the Navi because of the story that happened with Dabr Amalek. And Dabr Amalek says, the Gemara explains, that he was worried his whole life who will stand up from his home to kill him. Will it be the butler, the servant, the butcher, an eved, somebody that has zero compassion, has no love, and really it makes sense naturally that he should want to kill his master. And it never dawned on him that it would be his own child. He figured it would be somebody that would make sense, that it would be a coup. Somebody would want to kill him because of whatever he's doing to him. And therefore, Dabr Amalek was scared his whole life. But when he finally saw that it was his own child, he knew that his child, at least, at least, will have compassion. Even though, when you learn the story of Avshalom, he showed, he showed no compassion whatsoever. And he, the command he gave was to shoot to kill. But yet it was his child. And Dabr Amalek was comforted by that little comfort that it was his child, and it wasn't some maniac in his palace that was going to take revenge. And well, who knows what it would look like. And for that, That's a cause for a song. Says the Rebbe Yonis and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us tragedies sometimes. They take on the form of it makes no sense. It makes no sense. How could it be? How could it be that people in Europe would blame the Jews for the bubonic plague? It makes no sense. You stop to think about it. And therefore there should be such an outpouring of murder and pogroms and so many of these things so you go through history, you learn a little bit about Jewish history, some of these accusations make no sense blood libels it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't add up but then sadly there are times where it does make sense when it makes sense we got too involved in the government and we stuck our noses where we shouldn't have we funded wars we financed wars, and then when the other side won, so then obviously they took revenge on the Jews. Sometimes it made sense. There are two different types of tragedies that happen in Israel. Things that make sense, but things that don't make sense. The ones that make sense, Alpider Chateva, shows HaKadosh Baruch Hu, removes his Hashkocha from us. It makes sense. Hashem is removed, so to speak, from that moment. Because Alpidar Chateva, naturally it makes sense that the Jews should be blamed for whatever it makes sense to be blamed. Funding a war, and then they lost the war, or for something else. But when it makes no sense, then the only thing that we can explain is that there's a Hashkacha protest going on over here. There's a Hashkacha Yoyna Kaddish Baruch Hu, standing and watching over, and that's why this thing could happen. Because otherwise, 
It doesn't equate. You can't put the two and two together. It's like David HaMelech said. If it's my own child, it doesn't make sense. Therefore, I feel comfortable. But if it would be somebody that makes sense, that it should be someone in, my, in the slave room, and it would make sense he would want to kill me, that's when I'm frightened. Because then you're up to, you're leaving it up to anything, to chance, anything could happen. So too says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We say, Hashem, you've forgotten us. You've forgotten us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has forgotten us. That means we're claiming HaKadosh Baruch Hu removed his Ashkoch Elyoyna from us. He's not watching over us. And therefore it would be a kino. It's time to cry. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response is, it's not true. You look at the tragedies throughout the centuries, most of them make no sense whatsoever. We did nothing to bother them. We just wanted to live a life and we wanted to serve our God. That, that's all we wanted to do. And if you see that some people that are maybe considered civilized civilizations that lost their minds and became beasts and animals, the only way to explain that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's I, it's me. I've never forgotten. And I will never forget. We forget sometimes, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget. And therefore, when we go through the kinnis today, and sometimes it, it, it hurts so much. It hurts so much. There's so much pain and so much suffering. And it all traces itself back to the Gala Sashkino. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not home. We're not home. Together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But as sad and as tragic and as hurtful as it is, it also has to be tikkun. It has to be comforting at the same time. Nizmer L'David. It's a song. Because there's no way this would have made sense. And if there's no way it makes sense, that means that Kaddish Baruch is holding our hands. There's no way. It doesn't make sense. This, every single episode, you go through history, it doesn't make sense that the Spanish should do what they did and that, and that the Germans should do what they did. It doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. The terrorist is that Kaddish Baruch is watching over us. And the answer is, and this is essentially what Yeshua Malach says as he's dying. As we're going to say in the Kinnis right now in Yudalif, Tzadik Hashem Kifiyu Marisi. The only answer is we've rebelled against Hashem. We haven't done what we're supposed to do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, being a parent, still loves us, still cares about us, but He needs us to go through whatever cleansing we need to go through, whatever kinnis to come to whatever tikkun. Yes, now it's teku. But we have to get there. And we're going through this, together with Klai Yisrael, sitting together on the floor, saying these kinnis, is just the first step in coming to the proper tikkun. And knowing and realizing that Kaddish Baruch Hu wants only what's good for us. So as we go through this kinnis, we have to remember that everything that happens is obviously orchestrated and everything Hashem does is for our benefit, as hard as it is to believe. And we have a lot of questions, maybe more than their believe about the Chiv, because we live 200 years after and so the questions have just piled up more and more and more. But we also know that Avadim Ayinu. And we know by Yetzirah Hashem Mitzrayim and we know Kaddish Baruch Hu will eventually take us out of this also. And we sit here today, and this is, as we're saying, an overview of what we're going to do here today. We're sitting here today, recognizing Takadish Baruch Hu, we understand that you're watching over us. But we also cry. We think we learned the lesson already. We think we got it, Hashem. The message that I always try to take out of this kind of every single year I say it. Every single year I say it. As, as long as we'll sit on the floor, I'll say it again. 
The message of this kina is, we think we know better than our G'daylum. We think we understand more. Yeshua HaMelech made one mistake, and that is he was told to stop, back down. <coughs> the Nevi'im told him to stop. This is what Hashem wants. And we think we understand better than those that have the view of the Torah, through, that the lens of the prism of Torah that they look through. And that's something that until we correct that, we'll be here. Every time, L'chaik, L'chaik, as the Pesach says, it'll be L'chaik, this will be the rule. The rule is, if you don't learn the message, you'll, every time there's a tragedy, you're going to have to remember Yeshua HaMelech. Because we didn't learn from listening to the guidance of those that know better and care for us more. As you go through it, take the lessons. And there's so many in this kinna. But obviously, don't let the moment go to waste. <laughs> The next kino that we're going to do <coughs> is the next one in the, in the Sefer, Kino Yudbeis. The kino where HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, is crying together with us on the fact that he has no home anymore. I just want to take a moment to say over something that the Mishnah Sacher, Shalom Yisachar Teichtail, Mechab of Eimah Barnum Semeichel, the Fishtiyan Arov, he explains in his Svarim about this concept of HaKadosh Baruch Hu has no home. And I was thinking... Last night, as I was trying to gather my thoughts about 
Tishabov. And I realized that we cry so many years over our our fate, our tragedies that happened to us, whether it's the Crusades that we're going to talk about, or it's the burning of the, the Gemaris, or the Holocaust, the pogroms, the Tachvatat, Khurban, Golos, so many hardships that we go through. And really, it's, it's not really about us. It's really the Golos HaShchino. It's really what we're supposed to be crying about is the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have his home. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not home, then we're not home either. But the fact that he has lost his dirah, that he wanted, he so badly wanted, as the Tanya writes, that one of the reasons HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu he desired, he wished, he didn't have to create a world. Yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need anything. But the only reason he created a world, the way the Tanya explains it, it's really based on the Chazal, it's because he wanted to have a place to live amongst mortals, amongst man on this world. And when he finally had it, and Hashem was so happy and excited because that was the tachlos of the Brio. And then we, so to speak, kicked him out. So we sit here, we cry about our tragedies. Maybe, maybe it's justified. But I think that the moment you stop thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's tragedy then you're missing the whole point. And I think that we have to start looking at the kinnas through the lens of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we talk about the tzaddikim being killed, or the Beis is being destroyed, or going into Gullahs, or being kicked out of countries, or being slaughtered, we have to think of it as through the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through our Father, through our Master, through our King. How does He see it? Forget about your own personal feelings for a second. Think about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels. And this is one of the the main purposes of Tikkun Chatzos, of Meshkachech Yerushalayim, it's the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is now wandering. But we know HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has one place that he does hang out. He does have a place he finds comfort in, and he finds home. And that's a place where they sit and learn. He, goes, he, loves, he loves to go to a Kailul, to a Bismedrish, to a yeshiva, to a cheder. That's the one place HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, finds comfort and healing. And that's why we know Gemara tells us that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and there's not a minion there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is very upset. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally found a place that he could come to and, and then they're neglecting that place as well. We have a morning shear, a night shear, a charuso, a dafiyomi, a koilol, a Sunday morning, a Sunday evening, whatever time a person has, when he comes to greet HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Beis Medrash, he, he's telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm so sorry that you lost your home, but for now, could you feel comfortable here? But if you don't show up, if you show up periodically to Davin to say a few words, that's not HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds himself. It's And as I saw in the writings from Yeshebeth Salavechik, on this keynote, he explains in the second paragraph we say, in the middle of it, because is like a bird, that's a lonely bird, and he goes from rooftop to rooftop looking for something to eat. If you ever watch, you ever sit outside and watch, we live in a beautiful place where we can see, if you put out a bird feeder, you can watch it, how birds, they go from one branch to another branch. And that's the imagery of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's going from one shul to another shul, looking for some yidin that are sitting and learning, without letting him in. And sometimes he comes to a shul and there's nobody there. 
where it's locked and it's not time for davening, so there's nothing going on. There's no learning before, there's no learning after. And this is something that we have to give HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The little bit that we can do is give HaKadosh Baruch Hu a place till his home is actually rebuilt. We have to give him a place. So when we come to learn, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yeshev Baruch Hu comes to learn with you. You're sitting there and learning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there. There's no such thing as you don't have a Chavritza. You're learning with HaKadosh Baruch Hu at that moment. Besides for the fact that Abayah and Rava are Kenegdai, and Ravina and Ravashi, and Shlokesh and Lazar and B'yechanon, besides for that, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Yeshev Hashanah Kenegdai, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally finds a place where he can rest his weary, Kaviyachu, Kaviyachu, Kaviyachu body. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, oh, this is where I finally find some comfort. So obviously as, as we go through Kinnis and we cry over the sadness of everything that we've lost, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu lost, which is definitely what something we have to do, is what we have to commit ourselves to give HaKadosh Baruch Hu back a place. For, in the, in, for the interim, till we get, he gets back his home, we have to give him a little bit of a, a, makesh- a makeshift home. We commit ourselves to come more to Shul to learn. We commit ourselves to come earlier to davening. Ten minutes earlier so you can even open up a Sefer before. You can learn a Mishnah before. Or stay ten minutes afterwards so you could chazer something that you learned. Or learn some Musa before you go out to your day of work. If you commit yourself to a little bit more than giving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, so more comfort than sitting here on the floor today. Because here we're crying about what happened. But tomorrow when we come to shul earlier, or when we stay in shul five more minutes later, what we're doing is the time HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're giving you a place to stay. We're giving him, offering him something. We're coming to Chazer, the daf that we learned. After you learn the daf once, it takes half the time to Chazer it a second time. So you do it again. You can't do a daf. You do 20 lines. You do 10 lines. You do one taisus. Just do the rashis. Review it. But something. Give HaKadosh Baruch Hu a place to live. Don't sit on the floor and cry for him. Don't sit on the floor and cry for yourself. Do something about it. And we can. We can give him a place to live. Instead of him jumping from branch to branch like a tzipar that's boideid al gug. Let's give him a place where he actually could stay. Till the time that we actually have the real place. But the Dalad Amashah Allah is the place where he finds comfort now. So let's give him comfort. And I, obviously, if we give him the comfort, he'll return the favor. Today when we say, he'll give us that comfort also to come back home. Holy <laughs> 
Just to go back to what we just discussed, Zara Kodesh says that one shul, one chabura of, of Yidin together could bring Mashiach. This is quoted by many Swarim regarding different things, whether it's not talking in the shul by davening, or whether it's a chabura that doesn't speak Lashon Haro. Everybody, Kifi Mashahud, discusses this Zara Kodesh to bring about that every one shul could do it. I think if we all committed today, Blineder, that after davening, we stay two minutes, literally two minutes. Imagine the power of two minutes of how many people are here today. Two minutes before is a little hard because it's hard to get out of time. But you can always stay two minutes. If two minutes times the amount of people that are here today, how much nechama we would be giving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then maybe we would be the shul that would bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu back home and bring us home. It's just a commitment. It's nothing. It's, not, it's literally two minutes, whether after Shachar, it's too hard for you, so do two minutes after Mincha, two minutes after Mariv. If we do two obviously a half hour would be great, an hour would be even better. But something, not right after davening, I'm on my way. Not always is it feasible, but at least that should be the mindset that we have. And ima- imagine the schutz, you're part of a tzibur, that everybody takes that commitment, that from now on, after davening, for two minutes, I'm going to stick around to learn a Mishnah. Or two minutes, I'm going to learn around to learn one halach and kitzah Or for two minutes after davening, I'm going to, whatever it is, whatever, whatever excites you in learning, or saying Tehillim, just imagine the power of the tzibur that we are. And we can be the shul that will bring Mashiach. And they'll, they'll raise us up on their shoulders when Mashiach comes. Because we sat here on the floor and didn't just cry about the past, but did something about the future. The next kina I want to discuss is kina Yudzayin. Kina Yudzayin is one of the most graphic kinas. It almost, it's almost self-explanatory. There's no need to explain what's going on. I mean, the first words say it all. of if a mother can eat her own child because she's starving. I just want to bring out something, bring out a point. There's a tshuva on the Dvar Yeshua from Aaron Mendel Arnberg. He lived through the, the last tragedy, the Holocaust. He was on the Kastner train. But he was there at the end when they were doing the death march. And as they were walking... They were walking through, they already left Poland, they were on the way back to Germany, and they weren't allowed to stop, it was days already, they hadn't had a piece of food to eat. The Germans were trying to retrace. And he writes over there, I, I tried to get it printed so I could read it inside, but I'm happy I didn't, because it's, it's, it's a little graphic. If you want to see it, you can look inside, where the Germans, the farmers, the simpletons, the peasants, didn't allow the Yidin to eat from their grass because it had to be saved for their cows and goats and sheep. This is the barbaric, civilized country of Germany. But the German soldiers didn't allow them either to stop to eat. And if they caught them eating grass, then it was, a, it was automatic death. And there were people that were just falling. And somebody came to the line where, moved into the place in the line where 
the Dvar Yeshua was standing, and he asked him, he says, literally, I'm not going to make it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And the Germans have now stopped, and there are some dead bodies. Little, literal question from 80 years ago. Am I allowed to eat them? We live in a, in a country in a time where hunger is something that we can't understand, even with the prices of food. We don't, <clears throat> we don't know what that means, hunger. So it's hard for us to, to imagine. But the Gemara says that rather a person die by sword than die by hunger. Hunger is a person can go insane. And that's before he actually ends up dying from hunger. The Tsar is the worst. They asked the Mashaila if they could eat the dead bodies, the ones that didn't make it. And Ironberg writes, he says, I had to answer, talking about Pekuch Nefesh And he writes that, really, of course it's Mutter. Of course, Pekuch Nefesh is Deicha everything. As uncomfortable as the answer is, the answer is you're allowed to. But he said, I was very worried to be Matarit. He says, for two reasons. He says, number one, if I would be Matarit, that dead people are allowed to be eaten. And the next step is going to be that when someone's dying from hunger and there are no dead people, he'll make sure there are dead people so he can have what to eat. And that, obviously, that's a, that's a Yahrg Valyavar. You're not allowed to kill anybody for, for food. He said he's worried that that's going to be the next step. step. So he was making a gazero. This is at the time when he hadn't eaten in days either. He's thinking about what will happen if he allows people to eat dead bodies. And the next thing will be that somebody will kill. But then he writes something so fascinating. And this is what I want to talk about. And he writes, and the other reason why I didn't want to allow it is, because what are the Germans, and what is the world going to say when they hear that Jewish people ate their brethren? They're going to say, you see, we told you they're barbarians. Of course we have to get rid of them. That race, the race of the Jews, they'll do anything. And they'll be justified in all the killings of the millions of Yidin that they killed by showing, look, they eat themselves up. And he says, and for that reason, I turn to the person asking the question. And I said to him, listen, I can't tell you not to. But these are my two reasons that I'm hesitant to give you a heter. And he says, come, let's daven that we shouldn't have to come onto this. And he says, literally, they davened, and within an hour, the Russians showed up, and they were saved. There's so many details that we could focus on in this tshuva. It's such a scary and powerful tshuva. First of all, the wherewithal of a gadol to be in the right mind, in the right frame of mind, to be able to answer a question like this, and to see two steps ahead what will happen if he will allow it, even though it's kloch nefesh. And also, what will the world say? The Nazis will be sort of justified in what they've done. How will we look? What's with the pride of being a Jew? What's with the pride of being we're better and we're holier and we're bigger than what the world says we are? Fascinating. We learned last night in Echo that Hishluch Mishemayim Eretz, the Pharisees' role. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has thrown down to the ground the splendor, the glory of the Jew. That's one of the reasons we don't wear tefillin by Shachar today, because his tefillin is called Tepharis, as we say, Oitei Yisrael B'Sephara. Our Hishluch Mishemayim Eretz, Tepharis Yisrael, the Tepharis Yisrael is on the ground today, and we're sitting on the floor. Later on, we'll put it on. But the glory of a Yid, the fact that we're people with morality, the, pa- the fact that we're people with conviction and justice and social justice, of knowing what's right and what's wrong, the Germans will be able to point to us and say, look, you see, we were right. But that's how far, far we have fallen then, and that's how far we have fallen over time. When we go through hard times, the Jew has always been able to stand out and say, I'm bigger than that, I'm better than that. I don't have to do that, because that's what everybody says, and that's what everybody does. 
because the world makes it okay doesn't mean it's okay to me. There's something proud about the pride of a Jew. I read a story that in one of the camps during the Holocaust, there was 1,000 girls in one section of the camp. And every single day they would make a roundup and a count to make sure that they had the exact amount of girls. They were lined up in groups of five in order that they should be able to be seen very quickly if anybody's missing. And every morning, Yamach Shumay Vezichar, Mengele would come around to see and decide who makes it to the next day and who doesn't. And when he couldn't, I think her name, I think her name was Delgo, but I don't remember, something along those lines, Yamach Shumay Vezichar, she would come around. And, and the woman that wrote this memoir writes that she was worse than Mengele. There was something about her. She was, she was a pretty beautiful German with the most cold, sadistic, vicious eyes ever seen. She used to come with these two massive dogs the mornings that she would come. And one morning that she was there, there were two girls missing that must have escaped the camp somehow. Or they were lying dead somewhere. But the fact that there were two girls missing caused massive panic by the Germans. And they ordered all the girls to get down on their knees so they shouldn't run away until they go check the camp. And all the girls got down on their knees except for one lady. She was the Rav. I don't know what her name is. This woman writes also. She doesn't know what her name is. She was the daughter of the Rav of Budapest. Whoever she is. And she said, I'm a Yid and I don't kneel to anybody. I don't kneel, period. And the Zalga said, excuse me? Here you follow our rules. Get down on your knees. And she says, I'm a Yid. I don't kneel to anybody but Hashem. Absolutely not. And she said, this is your last warning. And this Rav's daughter said, absolutely not, I'm a Jew. And I, there's nothing you can do I'm, that, I'm gonna, that you're going to get me to kneel. And she allowed the two dogs to go loose. And all the girls watched the dogs tear her apart. And this woman that wrote the memoir writes, she said, we were all horrified at what we saw. But we saw also what it means to be proud and, and the pride to be a Jew. I'm a Jew and I will not kneel. In front of the Amalekim, in front of the Nazis, in front of Haman. We will not bow. And there are so many stories, you go through Holocaust stories, and this is also true about any time in history that you read up about. We even had such a pride, and they were so proud to be Jewish, that there was nothing, nothing that could frighten them. And yet, I don't want to be Mekatrig and Klayasro, but Tarihi Volumar Anitzarach. It was so easy in America to follow the guy, to wear what the guy wears, to talk like the guy talks, and to act like the guy acts, and to treasure and value what they find important. was so quick. What was the pride and what was the proud about us? Come to America and it's... America has killed more than the Germans have killed. Let that sink in. America has killed more than the Germans have killed. The Americans have killed with their kindness millions and millions and millions of our brethren. I'm not in any way trying to diminish what the Germans have done. You won't hear that from me. But the fact that we could lose our, what's, what's right, what's proud, what makes us proud to be a Jew, to dress like them, to talk like them, to walk like them, to idolize what they idolize, and to value what they value, is what's so sad. Where Ehrenberg was saying, and that Shuva is, Maybe, maybe there's a heter in Techalman Nashim Periyam Ya'ilay Maybe there's a heter. Maybe. 
But what about the pride of being a Jew? What will the world say? What will the world say? What will the Nazis be able to say and hang their hat on? Look, look, we were justified in killing these, these people, these Jews, these subhuman individuals. There's something about us that we have to strengthen ourselves on Tisha B'Av that we're proud to be a Yid. And yeah, and sometimes it's easier, it's more gishmak, to do what they do, to go where they go, to value what they value. What a commitment that we're Yidin and we're proud of that. And there's nothing, and I will not kneel because I'm a Yid. I will not kneel because I'm a Yid. And if that means I need to go to Kiddush Hashem, I'll go to Kiddush Hashem. She's now in a place where only a select few get to go. That Rav, the daughter of the Buddha Pastor Rav, whoever she may be. But that's something that we have to take from this kinna. The kinna of maybe we're allowed to sometimes do certain things in tragic situations. But what will the world say? And this comes up all the time in business transactions and deals that we do. And this comes up in how we drive on the street. And this comes up in how we shop in the shopping stores and the centers and the malls and the parking and the parking lots. This comes up a million times. What will the world say? Will they say the Jews are beautiful, amazing, great, and kind? Or will they say the opposite? It should never come to a case of but something that we have to learn to live higher, live bigger, and live better. Because we are. Because we are with the Amanifchar. Right now, maybe it doesn't seem like it to the world. But there will be a moment where they will all notice. Let it be that they'll say then, yeah, it makes sense. They will talk to special people. Not the opposite. And they should say, what, them? Those Jews? That cut me off on the highway? They're the chosen people, really? Let's make it our, our, our business to become better and bigger and holier because that's what we are. In the name of the Lord, 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 the Intolerant, <laughs> The next kina is kina chafalif twenty one. We'll do it stanza by stanza, as the minig is in klai. So when we talk about sorry, we get malchus. 
and losing the G'dayle Atariyah, the Chachme Atariyah. And what year like this year could we remember where a Gadol, where everybody in Klai Yisrael equally held, he was the Gadol Adar, Gadol Atariyah, Sar ever more of a time to cry about the loss of our G'daylum. Obviously here we're talking about the murder of our G'daylum. But is it any different, in a way, the fact that we don't have those that need to lead us and to guide us and the Shmiro? We saw the, the week after he was Nifter, we saw a terrorist attack <clears throat> right there where it never happened. We had the Shmiro of the Tadik of the Dar. I want to take a moment to talk about a little bit about the concept of Gemara says that the Shreifus Tamid Tadikim is Chashiv like Chorben Beit Hamikdash. Gemara says that the reason why we discuss this today is because losing a Dalim is equivalent to losing the Beit Hamikdash. Obviously, that sounds a little bit drastic. Losing a Beit Hamikdash is losing everything. It's losing Klal Yisrael, who we are and what we yearn for and strive for. But losing our G'daylum, as sad as it is, is it really? But obviously when you look, when your Yerchon Mazakai went out to greet the Spicen, he offered, take the Beis HaMikdash, do what you have to do. But tenly, Yav Nebuchachamel, I want Ermengam Lil's family, I want you to heal the Lazar, the Tzaddik, I'm sorry, the all three things he asks was about the continuity of Klai Yisrael because it's through the Torah, through the Chachmei Adar, through the Tamid HaChachamim, the Gedolim, the Rabbanim. As important as the Beis HaMikdash is, Rebbe HaMazakeh came to the conclusion they can take the Beis HaMikdash. If we have our Chachamim, we'll be fine. But the moment we lose our Chachamim, we're a lost people. With the Beis HaMikdash, without Chachamim, what is it? It's a structure. We don't know the rules, we don't know the halachas, we don't know the guidance that we're supposed to do. I just want to very briefly, very briefly talk about something I, I saw in Gamaliel Rabbanovitz has a sefer called Tivan Achama. He talks the concept of the three weeks and the nine days and Tishabov. And he brings here a story. I never heard this story and I never saw the story anywhere else. He brings a story that we saw Salanter one time heard about a, a queen that struggled many years to have a child. And after 30 years, she was able to have a ben yachid, and she loved and cherished this child, and she did everything for this child. To the point where literally, this is how he brings it down over there, literally that she felt that it was uncomfortable for her son to walk in a certain area because it was bumpy, and she would put out sugar on the floor so it would be smooth. That's how much she loved this child, she would do anything for this child. And we saw Salanta when he heard this, he decided that he needs to get an audience with this with this queen. She was known to be an intellectual, doesn't say her name, intellectual and understanding and maybe liberal in her approach to Yiddishkeit. So therefore she was someone that Yisrael Talanta could find an audience with. And he got that arranged and he met her. And he was asking her different questions about how she treats her child. They were talking about different things. And at one point Yisrael Talanta asked, he says, I have a question for you. If your son put a piece of paper in his pocket, and when it's time you asked him for it, he reached his hand into his right pocket and it wasn't there. And then he had to put his hand into his left pocket and take it out. Would you feel sad? Would you feel like a little bit of pain that he had to look twice, put his hand into his left pocket after he already searched his right pocket? And the queen said, no. It's a big deal. He found a piece of paper. What's the big deal? 
Rishalta, when he finished the meeting, he went outside the palace and he started dancing. And he says, and our king feels our pain when we put our hand in our right pocket and it's not there. It's in our left pocket. As the one Erechim says, when a person wants to take out three coins from his pocket and he only takes out two. Our king loves us more than the queen that loves her child the most. And he started dancing. And this is the lesson of how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us. How much he cares about us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, When a yid suffers, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, says, the Gemara says, that my hand hurts, my head hurts, when your hand hurts, and when your head hurts. Is there a king or a queen in the world? Is there a parent in the world? Is there a person in the world that loves somebody like HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you? The answer is an emphatic no. So why does he do all these hard things? How can it be? How can HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes turn so cold if he loves us so much? How can HaKadosh Baruch Hu turn away his eyes like the million dollar question, where was he in 1942? The answer hurts. But if you ask the question, you have to give the answer. The answer is, this is, Rabbi Shemelka of Nicholasburg said this, but this is already based on the words from Rabbi Chaim Vital on a Pusik and Sefer Devarim, Ki Yipolo L'Chadova L'Mishpat, the Kamtav Aliso, Alamokayim, whether it's Ben Dam L'Dam, Ben Din L'Din, Ben Nega L'Nega, Adzirah Yuvayz B'Sha'arecha. And the way he translated the Pusik of Shemelka of Nicholasburg is Ki Yipolo L'Chadova. When you'll see something and it'll be a pellet to you, it won't make sense. How could it be? How could it be that they're tearing people apart because they don't want to join a religion that's so loving and compassionate? How could it be that the barbarians will go onto a bus in the middle of an urban center in Yerushalayim and blow themselves up with another 30 people? How could it be? doesn't make sense. And you're going to go up and you're going to try to investigate and you're going to try to ask the Gedolim. It's Pashat. The answer is simple. Whether it's Ben Dam Ladam, whether you're trying to understand why this blood is shed and why that blood is shed. Ben Din Ladin, why is this person losing court cases and losing money? Or Ben Negal and Negal. There's one answer to all those questions. Because there are fights, there are quarrels within your communities. Organizations, yeshivas, shuls, neighborhoods, family, siblings can't talk to each other, or can't talk about each other. That's the answer to all. That's the answer to all the questions. How could it be Reb Kiva, the Gadla Dar, the greatest one, who Moshe Rabbeinu says, let him give tzari. How could he be combed like that? How does that Kodesh Baruch Hu allow that to happen? It's because of Asar Malchus are to be mechaper for brothers fighting. Yosef and the brothers. That's what it's mechaper on. And that is how it's going to continue until we figure this out. Until we figure out how to put all our petty differences aside. Whether it's a money difference, or it's a cover difference, or it's a, a, a theological difference in Yiddishkeit. Or we have different approaches. If we can't talk to each other, then don't wonder why there's Dam Ladam. The answer is obvious. I want to read to you one paragraph. in the tell this Yaakov Yosef. The first Hasidic Shosef printed. And he says as follows. Pasuk says in Yeshaya, "Chinam nimkartem, you were sold for nothing, v'loy bekesef tegeilu, but you will not be able to redeem yourself for money." So he says, "V'zen nearly perish apasik, shal yidei sinas chinam nimkartem shenecher avabayis." Let's not forget why we're here. We're here because of sinas chinam. We can talk about all the other things, but if we don't fix this, 
V'loy v'kesef. It's nothing to do with kesef. It's a chesid What does v'kesef mean? V'loy yichsoiv keil. Kesef. V'yisnag b'darke atayu. Oz tigalu. V'loy v'kesef has nothing to do with how much kisufim, how much yearning you have for Hashem, how many times you go to the mikvah, or how much tzedakah you give. That's not what's going to get us out of here. It's the fact that it's the fact that we can't look at each other. Can't go into a different shul, or other people can't go into your shul, or other people can't come to your simcha, or you can't go to theirs because of whatever petty disagreement it is. And nothing is worth a base amigdash. Nothing is worth losing, losing our gedolim, our rabbanim, our leaders. But that's what happens. There's a story there. If Shlomkis Villers grandchild was engaged to somebody, I don't know if it was his grandson or his granddaughter, but they found out that the other side, ate machine matzahs. I know some of you find that funny, but in certain circles in the world, eating machine matzahs is equivalent to whatever, uh, whatever, put in, you know, fill in the blank. And they wanted to call off the shidduch. They came to Epsom Kizviller. Now, you want to know who Epsom Kizviller is? He's the one person the Chazanish would go to for a bracha. And that's, that's obviously an endorsement. Chazanish was a litvak. Chazanish didn't go to anybody for anything. Chazanish sat and learned Yom of Elayla. But when he needed a bracha, he went to Epsom Kizviller. This was Epsom Kizviller's grandson or granddaughter. And they came to him and they're discussing to drop the shidduch. They heard that they eat machine matzahs. And Epsom Kizviller said, stop it. There's only two things Hashem cares about in this world. And that's sinas chinom and shmir senayim. Period. Stop. Maybe she doesn't care if you eat machine matzahs. Are they people that get along with other people? Are there people that are nizer and kedusha? If yes, do the shidduch. If not, not. All these little silly differences that we've gotten used to over the years. I was in, I was in Tzvast not long ago. And I met somebody that I hadn't seen in a few years. Who I actually thought was no longer alive. I heard he overdosed and he was, he was I, I didn't hear that he died, but I, I figured that just from his trajectory of life. And I didn't, I didn't recognize him. And he said, said, Rebbe, you recognize me? And the answer was no. And he told me who it was and I, I couldn't believe it. I gave him a huge hug and I started, started crying and I said, what, what, what happened? says, oh, I found Breslov and, and everything is good now. Some of us are maybe even chuckling in our, in our mind now. Found Breslov, uh. Till it's your grandchild, you chuckle. When it's your grandchild that's on deathbed because he's overdosing, you'll be wishing he found Breslov and he became close to Hashem. But we can't because we're so busy fighting and we have our silly differences of what he is and what she is and what they are. And we have, and if you're wondering why things happen... It's only one answer. It's the silly arguments that we get into. And we have to commit ourselves. Once and for all, there's nothing that's worth a fight. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that's worth a fight. We have to start getting along with each other. We can talk about all the other beautiful things about the Kenneth, but this is it. This is it. Shmir Sanayim and Sinas Chinom. That's the only two things Hashem cares about. That's the only two things Hashem cares about. And we know in our generation, these are two things that we're really struggling in. We don't have to talk more because I think everybody understands and everybody knows. And everybody, everybody knows their, their problems in, the, in this area. And let's just leave it at this. Let's just commit to be better. Finish. It's, it's as simple as that. And if we do, we'll have our gadolim that will lead us. Connected Mashiach. 
parents know what hurts a child more than maybe a child knows, as hard as it is as a child maybe perhaps to see that. And this doesn't change when you become 30, 40, 50, 60. You have a parent, they know better. And even when they're no longer on this world, they're up there, they're watching you, they definitely know better. That's why it's become the Minigan Kaisal in many places to go to Kivri Avlis. Obviously you have to know the halachas and how to go there and what to, how to approach it. But that's for a different time and a different place. But we know that there's a concept of going to Kivri Avlis. In many circles it's more common. And different times and different periods in history becomes more pronounced. But over here we see Yemriyah and Avi going to the Kivri Avlis. Uh, the answer, the question that we have to answer is why. The Rami and Yaakov are already no longer on the world, already for hundreds of years. Meshur Abenu is no longer here. Why is it that they're going there? And I think that the answer is very simple. This is Rabbi Chil, Weinberg writes this, the Sri Deyesh, that there's something about a mother, as we're going to say in the after coming up, there's something like a mother that not, nothing can compare. We know that Rachel is the one that's eventually going to get us redeemed. She's not willing to take any prizes in, instead. She wants her children home. But I think, going back to what we said before, I think the Ave Sagdoshim and the people that are dead more than anybody recognize when we go to Golos, the Tsar of the Golos Ashkino. And perhaps, maybe we, while we were on this world, we couldn't comprehend the tragedy that was about to befall us. Yumiyah Anavi knew that if he goes to Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, to Sarah Rivki to Moshe, he knew if he went to them, they would understand what this means, Gal Sashchina. And maybe, maybe, if they would intercede, that would be able to help the Kaddish Baruch should reconsider. It's known that the Rizhina was in jail because of Malshinus, and the Rizhina said, no, no bad bothers me. Nothing can hurt me. Except, except that you, Hashem, have to be with me in jail. That's the only thing that bothers me. The fact that he's in jail and that he's being tortured, it hurts. But we could put that our hurt aside maybe a little bit. But the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hurts with us, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is also locked in jail, is also in Golis, is also going through Whatever tragedy one is going through, whether it's a health issue or a financial issue or a nachas, a kedusha issue, or whatever it is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is also feeling the pain. And who knows that better than the other Sagdoshim that are there and watching HaKadosh Baruch Hu suffering with us. And that's something that when we go, even if one's parents were not the greatest tzaddikim, and one's parents were not necessarily whatever the favorite caver of the month is, but the parents are in Shemayim and they know the child's pain and they see also why it's the children to go to the cave of their parents. Because nobody wants better for the child than the child wants. See how Zbokhu is suffering. I'm not going to translate it and elucidate it, but it's, it's pretty easy. he goes to try to get them and to wake up, I don't only physically, but wake up spiritually and emotionally and feel to retract the of going into
Next kina we'll do is kina lamed aleph thirty-one, where we show the contrast of when we left Mitzrayim versus when we left Yerushalayim. I want to maybe put a little spin on that. What does it mean b'tesi Mitzrayim, and what does it mean b'tesi Yerushalayim? We all learn in yeshiva about b'tesi Mitzrayim. We celebrate it. We have a yantif for it, and we have many mitzvahs that remind us b'tesi Mitzrayim. But sadly, 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 the sugya that we know better is the sugya of B'teisim Yerushalayim. Because we're coming along with B'teisim Yerushalayim with so many of the tragedies over the years. We might learn the sugya of B'teisim Yerushalayim, but we live and know the sugya of B'teisim Yerushalayim. The way to explain this is based on a, a sicho from the Muslim Vachtweigel. And his Mamorim, he explains... Now, as you go through Shas, when you learn Shas, you'll see sometimes the Gemara will have a discussion. The Gemara will open a conversation, let's say, regarding any, any conversation about Gitin, let's say. And the Gemara will bring a Kasha from the Sugyo, Mesechtas Yevamis, and a Raya from a Mishnah in Tahiris, and then a Pircho from a Brysa and a Hollis. And the Gemara will go from one place to the next, perhaps looks like going off on a tangent and you can't keep track of exactly what the Gemara is trying to do. Sometimes a sugya. Sometimes a very shver sugya. And sometimes you lose the focus of how the dots are even connected. Sometimes at the end it all makes sense to understand what the connection was. Sometimes not. Sometimes you have to re- rework the sugya a few times until you figure it out. This world is a sugya in shas. Our lives, each individually, are a sugya in shas. Sometimes we don't understand... How is this connected to that? Well, what's the connection? I'm learning about Gittin. Where does Megillah come in over here? Where does it talk about Chaymis Yeshua ben Nun? The middle of Masechta's Gittin. And, and sometimes we, we're, we're bothered by the Kashem. What is the connection? Well, if you get to the end of the Sugyo, if you get to the end, hopefully everything makes sense. When we turn 120 and we come up to Shemayim and we see the end of the Sugyo, right now maybe we're Teku. Maybe right now we're Teku. But when we get to the end of the sugya and we see how the, the shaykhs of this b'risa to that mishnah 
to this kasha, to this raya, all of a sudden, everything makes sense. It was a beautiful, beautiful sugya that Abishar produced. It's the same thing with the world. Some of the things in the world make no sense. The connection, the raya from one place to another place. And sadly, sadly, many of us drop out of the sugya. It's too hard. Sugya is too hard. I don't see the connection. I'm done. Lord's bringing in sugyas that make no sense to me. And many, many Yidin have dropped out in the middle of the sugya. Somewhere between Betesim and Mitzrayim to Beshuvi and Yerushalayim, many people have fallen off and dropped out of the daf and dropped out of the sugya. We say this every day. I don't know Hashem Allah, but Terem Koyetzir was the Malach, he was the king before there was any creation. Terem Koyetzir and we also say, There will be a time where he will be the only one. That's the beginning of the sugya and the end of the sugya. But many of us get lost in the middle of Adon Olam. Many of us are lost and we say, This sugya makes no sense. And therefore I'm shutting the Gemara. Many of us, and many of our grandparents have said it's a Shver sugya. But we have, to, we have to hurry it through the sugya. Maybe we'll try to we'll understand it one day. Or maybe, okay, it's a Tarachim. But many sadly have shut the Gemara and said it's a Shver sugya. The Gemara says that, Therefore, the whole Torah is Gemos Chasadim. We see that Kaddish Baruch Hu closed Adam Rishon, that's the Tchil of the Torah. And we see that Kaddish Baruch Hu buried Moshe, that's the end of the Torah, that's also Gemos Chasadim. So therefore, the whole Torah is Gemos Chasadim. Many people get stuck during the Messiah and they're like, we don't see the Gemos Chasadim over here, we don't know what you're talking about. We're in the Mishkan, do you find the Gemos Chasadim? And they just close the Chumash, they don't get to the end to see the Sefer Gemos Chasadim. And that's why, at the end of this big sugyo, there's going to be a Siyam. And that's perhaps the symbolism why so many people make siyumim during the nine days. There's going to be a big siyum at the end of the siyum. Many people, those that stick around for the end, are going to be invited to this big siyum where Dabra Malach is going to bench and there's going to be Levyasun and Sharabar and Yain HaMashumel and Tzadikim that we talk about in the Agdomas. But many people, many of our children, are not interested in dealing with the siyum. It's too hard. It is hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. But perseverance, learning sugyas in Gemara when it's hard, gives you the kayach to be able to learn sugyas in this world that are hard. Belzerebbe used to learn sugyas, he used to say, I'm learning pilpul. And the reason I learn pilpul is in order I should be able to understand another yid. Because sometimes, to for another yid, you need a shtickle, shtickle terry, you need a pilpul. You need a very complex sugya to, to be able to unravel the difficult yid that there is. Every yid's a sugya. And every yid has a beginning and has an end, and sometimes you don't see the connection of how the beginning got to the end, and where, where, where everything went wrong. The parak, the, the kinah that we're going to lay now, is that Shvera Sugya. The Sugya of Betesim and Mitzrayim. We started the Sugya. It was so gishmak, such a brand. It was a new zman. It was a brand new Gemara. Betesim and Mitzrayim. We're going to learn. We're going to harava. We're going to... We're going to become Yidin, and we're going to go to Maimon Sinai. It's going to be great. We're going to have the Mon, and we're going to have the Be'er. Great sugya. beginning of this man is always great. But sadly, somewhere during this man, it becomes Tehsi Mirushalayim. During the Masechta, it becomes a little too hard, and we just shut it and say, let's, let's learn something else. And what, perhaps, I'll be Jewish. I'm not saying this is Pshat, I know. But I'll be Jewish, perhaps, that this kid is trying to tell us, get to the end, because you'll see at the end, will be Bishuvi Mirushalayim. We'll come home, we'll sing, we'll dance, we'll celebrate by the big Siyam, but only those that make it to the end. Be from those that make it to the end, be, those, be from those that help others make it to the end. Your children, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, help them get to that Siyam.
Because when they'll be the same and they won't be invited, they're going to turn to you and say, why didn't you bring me along for the ride? You, you knew it was a Shemar Sugyo. You, you could have explained it to me. You could have explained to me the Shaykhahs. Why I have to put on Tfilin every day. Why I have to keep Shabbos. You could, you could have reached out to me. So perhaps that this kid is trying to teach us is B'tesi Mimitzrayim, Gishmak, beautiful. But many of us drop out B'tesi Mimitzrayim. And it's our Tfilo, as well as our Kino, that we should all be Zaycha shortly to see B'shuvi L'Yerushalayim. We're going to do one about the Crusade, Lamed Gimel 33. Just want to put, say one Nakud on this, very briefly. And it's on the last, last stanza in this whole, this whole kino. The last stanza says, Loi Vesh Nekomo Uro Vekumo. 
Hashem, that's Loivish Nakama, Hashem who cloaks himself in the Kama, in retribution. Uro, wake up, stand up, Vikuma. Hareim, Shifle Kama, lift up those that are downtrodden, that now are so low, Klayasro. Yadun Giviyos Rikma, judge those, referring to the Crusades, Giviyos Rikma, the bodies of Rikma that were woven together. Ushkino Kama Al Makaima. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will come back to its place. This kino is written by somebody that lived during the time, Reb Menachem Reb Macher. He was one of the great families of Ashkenaz. And this is, he lived in Rannigsburg, he's in the Gedele Adar. And he's quoted many times in the Rishonim, different halachas for him. This was about the first crusade, the times of Rashi, in the year Tov Tov Nun Vav, Tatnu, as you'll see, it's actually quoted in the actual kinnis. I just want to bring out one point. Literally one point. And that is the Lashon of Adazah Kainan Balatasis and Parshas Hazinu. We say this every Shabbos. Even this Shabbos. When we don't say Tachron, we said it. Haninu Goyim Amoy Kidam Avod of Yikrim Menokam Yoshev Utsaro Vichipar Admasay Amoy I want to read to you the Lashon of Adazah Kainan on that Pasuk. Haninu Goyim Amoy Then the nations of the world will praise. This is the last passing of Azina, which means this is the time when the Kajbaku is going to reveal himself and will come back home to Yisrael. This is Mesh We know Hazinu is a history of time. This is the last Pasik. Then they will praise and they will say they'll be able to see the, jo- the justice that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does to all those that deserve the Nekamo. Kedimafar as well as the Pasuk continues, Kidam Avad of Yikrim. Quote from the Da'az of Canaan. She Yishafeich Damam, Kemoshishafchu Damam Shal Yisrael. Their blood will be spilled like they did to ours, and to our grandparents. V'zeo Sh'amar HaKasiv, Yodin Bagayim, Molei Gevi'oiz. Sh'asar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shiyayim HaLeumos. Hashem is going to turn to the people of the world. To the Polish, to the Spanish, to the Moroccans, to the Syrians, to the Germans. How come you killed so many Yidin? You would think, when you stand in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you'd say the truth. The first response is going to be, we? We never did anything, I know what we're talking about. Straight up Holocaust denial. It used to be that the nations of the world were very proud they killed Yidin. They created arches and memorials they're very proud of it it's a new phenomenon that they deny anything that they do to us this is literally at the end at the end there's going to be denial Hashem's going to say you can't deny it Hashem's going to pull out his garment Hashem's garment is made out of the corpse of Yidin Hashem's going to say so who killed him and who killed him and who killed her and there's going to be fingerprints and they're not going to be able to deny it anymore. And HaKadosh Baruch will pay back everybody exactly like they deserve. And that's what the Yaitzir says in Rosh Hashanah, it's Azab HaKadoshim, and so to the Slichus on Chav Sivan, Aldami Ledami, Gamber Fafirio Malay Gevi'ez. And then, and only then, V'chipar Admasa Yamay. Yisrael Amay Yechapra Admasa Shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu. V'chitiv L'Aretz Lo Yechup Al Adam. Then the Yisrael Yishbuchu Daman Shal Umais, Kibay Shishafchu Hain Daman Shal Yisrael, Kedichsiv and Asatias Nikmasi Be'edam Be'adam Yisrael. At the end of this kino, 
this person that lived through the Kisei, is turning to HaKadosh Baruch and he says, it's time to put on garments. It's time to turn to the people that murdered. And said, what do you mean? What do you mean you killed a Yid? Who gave you the right to kill another Yid? And there's no denial. And that was a thousand years ago. How many more millions and tens of millions of Yidin have been killed since then? And every blood spot on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's garment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has it in front of him and he wears it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't forget. Maybe this is an uncomfortable conversation. But I'm going to say it. And I'm not referring to the Yidin that are suffering in Ukraine. But I have zero, zero compassion for the Ukrainian Goyim. We know what they did to our grandparents. As recently as 10, 15, 20 years ago, we say every week, and we ask we want to see, we want to see revenge. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is showing it to us. And some people are queasy and feel very uncomfortable that the Ukrainians are suffering. Were they queasy when we were suffering or when they were shoveling us into the ovens? Because even the Nazis couldn't do it, so they had to bring in UK- Ukrainian animals? Were, we queasy? were they queasy for us? HaKadosh Baruch Hu has every one of these Yidin that were killed and murdered, and sometimes worse, on his garment. And he looks, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking at it right now. And every Ukrainian Shagid that's suffering... It's for a reason. It's because his grandfather did something. I don't want to hear that it was his grandfather. Because we're being killed for something our grandparents did. And finally, we get to see a little Nakama, and yet there are Yidin that are like, oh, we're not sure, we're not sure. We're sure, we're sure. This is the beginning of the end. HaKadosh Baruch says at the end of Azinu, this will be the end. When Nakama starts happening, that's the end. And we're starting to see it. Let every bullet find its target, as long as it's not a Yid. On both sides. The Russians deserve... They're fair share too, what they did to us. Every missile should be successful on both sides. Of course, we don't want wars to go on in the world and we dive in that it should end. And we hope it ends tomorrow. But as long as it's happening, let it be successful. It shouldn't be a wasted bullet. Every one of them deserves... I want to go through, if you read a little bit about the Holocaust, just 80 years ago what they did to our grandparents. And I don't want you to think it was 80 years ago, because in 1990, they were still undigging Jewish graves and burial sites to take out our grandparents' gold teeth so they could sell it for a little bit of bread. So it's not their grandparents. Some of them are still alive today that were doing this to us and to our grandparents. Stop feeling so queasy for them. And enjoy the moment where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is finally taking revenge from those that deserve it. And there's so many more HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to take revenge from. And if we hear that the Russians have plans to not stop in, in Ukraine, let every year get out of the way and let Hashem do what He needs to do. Let him put on his garment of Nekomo, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have a past. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have a future. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is only present and past and future all in one. He's Hoya Hoyve Viyir. That means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching now as they're shoveling in your grandparents into the ovens. You think it's 80 years ago. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees it as immediate, as right now. He's watching it happen. He's watching how Chimonetsky is walking through villages and stealing kids out of their mother's hands and cutting open the mother and sticking in a cat into her womb instead of a human. And that's actually from the Yavain Metzilo. That actually happened. And you think it was 400 years ago. And therefore you feel queasy for the Ukrainians. HaKadosh Baruch says, no, 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 it's happening right now. I'm looking at my garment and I'm watching it happen right now. And it's happened in every single country in Europe. Nobody, nobody in Europe is deserving of any spearing. They all deserve it. Yeah, they also had good moments also. Adekhanami. 
they'll get their reward, or they got their reward. But they deserve, and this is also only, not only in Europe, this is also in the Middle East, and this is also in Northern Africa. This is where every Yidin have been. And we cry and we beg, as, together with this Mekonin, as sad as the Crusades were, but let them all suffer, and suffer like they deserve to suffer. Because that's the only way we're going to end this Golas. As the last Pasuk in Azinu says, about the Shiris, the Shira of Azinu, in order for us to come home, when he casey, dumb on casey, Rashem, and only then, Shaykhin Bitsiyan. Evala Oyre, Ani Nasegore, Oyot Libuki Amore, Bahamas Sore, Rahay Sore, Awan, Golas Orach, Libi Hedach, Oyot Li, Dorahu Forach, Nahani Nachshiroch, Tele Horach, Awali, Atma Ishai, Kulun Kadosha, Oyali, Rain Bozak Kadosha, Kulun Kadosha, Zulu Kadosha, Awali. We'll do two more, and then we'll do the one on the Holocaust for Shimon Schwab and Eli Tzioin. I just want to finish up with the last two. Lamed Vav, 36. This is a grouping, what it's called, the Tzioinim. All the, not to be confused with nowadays, these are all the kinos about Tzioin. That many of the Gedelim wrote, mainly with Huda Levi, the person that wrote the Kuzari, because the king asked him, he talked so much about Eric Sisrol, and yet he lives in Spain. And the king of Kuzar said, listen, you taught me something. And he converted to, to Judaism. Let's just go with for now, that the story is a real story. But let me teach you something, that you can't keep talking about Eric Sisrol and not being there. And Yudah Levi got the message, and he wrote some of these beautiful songs about how he was going. And we know tragedy... When he got there, he got down to the floor to kiss it, and he was trampled by a Arab, and he was killed. But he was killed 
He got there, he was able to who as we, long, we go through these different piyutim of kinnas of tzioin, we see how much he was yearning for Eretz Yisrael. And every year, we have to stop and ask ourselves, how much do we yearn for Eretz Yisrael? Do we own an apartment somewhere else before we own an Eretz Yisrael? A second home. First home, okay, is one thing. But if you own a second home, and it's not an Eretz Yisrael, you really have some explaining to do. I'm saying maybe even your first home should be an Eretz Yisrael. But no, it is what it is. But we can sit here and cry on the floor, and we have an opportunity that our grandparents didn't have in thousands of years, where we can go back to our country, to our homeland, and live there. And many of us just talk about it. And we wish we could, but this, but that. And yeah, I'm guilty as charged as well. It bothers me. It bothers me. I wish I could. I wish I could be in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Nothing like Eretz I just want to point out one hergish that I got from one of my rebbeim this Friday. Pointed out a very fascinating thing. His name is Solomon Asher Reisman. He said, "Open up. Just go. You don't have to open up. You can go walk by the Rambam, the set of Mishnah Torah, Yad Chazaka, the fourteen volumes." He says, "How many? How much time in history has all fourteen volumes been applicable?" Think about it. How much time in history the world is 5,780 odd years old? So for the first 2,000 years there were no Yidden. So there was no Rambam to, that we needed to even talk about. Then when we got to Torah, there was so much that we didn't have. We didn't have Eretz Yisrael for 40 years. Finally we got to Eretz Yisrael, we didn't have a Melech. We didn't have a Beis HaMikdash. We didn't have a Lila Regal. Finally, finally, when we got to Shleim Melech, a king, with Nevi'im, in Eretz Yisrael, Trumas and Maestris, Archal, and Egea. How long did that last? 40 years? Now Shalom HaMelech was Nifter, and then Klaisol split in half, and there was already a majority of Klaisol not even going to be other regal. So we're talking about the Yiddishkeit as a whole, to be able to keep every Lacha in Yiddishkeit, from, from all the way, from Hamada till Shaiftim, everyone in the Trumas and Maestris and Karbanas, Every single mitzvah, there was only 40 years in our history that we were able to do that. It's a political thing if you think about it. We've never had that back. Because we had, when we came back during Bayashani, it wasn't Rav Surah al we didn't have necessarily Yaivo, we didn't have Erechin and a lot of sugyas. We have never had, for 40 years only, has Klayasol been a real Klayasol with all the Talachas. And really, this is really the Shittah of the Kuzri, Rida Levi, the Mechabah of the Skinners, he holds that Yiddishkeit today, out of Eretz Yisrael, is not, is not the real thing. Perhaps it's practice, maybe there's a Washington and Rashi. I'm not going to get into exactly here. But we're so far from being a real Yid. We think, we do, we whatever. There's volumes and volumes in the Rambam that we can't even... Tahiro, Karbonus, Avoido. There's, there's volumes that we can't even keep anymore. And we consider ourselves good Jews. And we are. We are, we're good Jews. Under the circumstances, we're good Jews. I agree. But we're so far from what a good Jew is supposed to look like, in the proper sense. And this is what he's crying in this kino of. He wants to go back home, and everything should come back to the way it is, so we can be Jews as proper Jews. I just want to point out that I saw, yesterday was the yard site of the Chayz of Lublin. On Tisha B'Av, he was Nifter. So in his Sefer Dvar Emes, on Parshas Chayisaro, in one line, he says an interesting point. He says that the reason why we bow by Maidim 
is perhaps, he says it's not the real shot, but uh, perhaps, because the moment we say, Hamachazir Shechinosay Lutzion, we say in the Loshan of Hamachazir, he's constantly bringing back Shechinosay Lutzion, that automatically creates a moment of, if it's a base Amidus, we have to be bowed. We know, we go to bow. So the moment we hear Hamachazir Shechinosay Lutzion, even when we hear the shot, the Baltfilo say it, we automatically have to bow our heads. He says that's shot in the Gemara. The Gemara says, you shall me that we have to thank our heads for bowing automatically. Because when we hear the word Tzioin, we automatically bow our heads and say, ah, we wish, we only wish we could go back to prostrate ourselves. So when we say this Tzioin, and we're saying it on the floor, really what we have to do is bend our heads and say, we wish, we wish we could do this for real in Tzioin, where we could keep all the mitzvahs, like a real Yid, all 14 volumes of the Rambam, Yad HaZaka, from Hevi Yemenu. Tzioin, Allah Yisrael, 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 Next one we're going to do, we do every year, Kino Mem Aleph, the Kino of Shali, Sarufa Ve'esh, with Marama Rutenberg, watch them burn the 
24 cartloads of Sforim, after realized they were handwritten, was basically wiping out Torah from the entire France, which is the seat of Ashkenaz Torah at that point. And he sort of, so to speak, asks in very rhetorical and cynical way, is that why the Eidbishter gave the Torah in fire, in order that it should be able to go back in fire? As Miramar Rutenberg suffered, as we know, he died in prison. He had a hard life. I just want to bring out one point, and this will be the last point before we get to the end. A lot of people wanted to know last night, if you say Vitun Lecho, they wanted to know what is going to be Panosa for this week. You don't say Vitun Lecho last night. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered when you said Vitun Lecho, why does it say Vitun Lecho Kim? If it's giving, if we're talking about a moment of the Abishab giving his bounty, his blessings, it should have said Vitun Lecho Havayu, Yudke Vavke. Why Kim? Why is Akash Bokhu Midisad Din Vitun Lecho? And what is the Abishab giving already? Vitun Lecho Kim, Mital Hashemayim. From the dew of the heavens, from the fat of the land, and a lot of grain, and a lot of wine. I don't know how many of us, I mean, it's great. It's great to have financial stability, to have grapes and wine. But, but is that it? Is that, is that the pleasures that we're looking for? And I think that interwoven into this kinah is the answer to that question. Medu says in that Pasuk that when... Yaakov Avinu walked in to the room and Yitzchak was about to give him the bracha. He saw the base of Mikdash Banu, Banoi, Vecharu, Vebanoi. He saw the base of Mikdash built, then he saw it in its destruction stage, and then he saw it rebuilt again. Why did Yitzchak Avinu have to see, in order to be Yitzchak Avinu, why did he have to see the base of Mikdash built, destroyed, and rebuilt? What's the connection? The answer is along the line of the next Medrash. Medrash says, Yitzchak Avinu, Maybe some people are not going to want to say it anymore. That's much shavas. Vidon chalakim mital hashemayim, mital hashemayim zutar shabiksav. Umishman ayaret zumishno. Viroiv dagon zugemaro. Vesiroish zuagado vekabolo. I'm paraphrasing the medrash. You can look it up yourself. But basically, when Yitzchak Avinu was benching Yaakov, what was he giving him? Tar shabiksav, tar shabalpeh, mishnayis, gemaro. No, no, Taka. Why didn't we say it last night? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're hoping for? Perhaps the pshat is, again, not alpi pshat, but the pshat is alpi yemes and drush. There are times in history when it's v'yitun l'cha elikim. Rebbe gives you, he shows you a face of din, he shows you a holocaust, he shows you a pogroms, he shows you a crusade, he shows you the more is coming, or any other time in history that we suffer. V'yitun l'cha elikim. The only way to survive Yitzhak Avinu is telling Yaakov, is mital ha-shemayim, take out a chumash, take out a navi, mishmane aretz, open up mishnayis, learn uktsin, learn e-adios, v'rayv dagon, learn gemara, open up a baba basro, v'tirosh, learn ma'amari chazal, la'gadot ha-shas in Kabbalah. That's the only way to get through the v'yitam l'chalakims. The only way to get through the hardships in life, the only way to get through the down times of life, was with a Gemara, with a Teisus, with a Rambam, that's how Yidin got through Golis. It's the only way to get through Golis. And the Yidin that came to the new land and they set up Torah, survived and rebuilt. And the Yidin that came to a new place 
after the destruction of the old place and didn't, sadly, they're Shalos and Allah, what we consider them. There's going to be, Yaakov Avinu was being told by Yitzhak, there's going to be hard times. I'm telling you, I see Banoi, I see a base of built. I see Kharuv, I see it's going to be destroyed. But the only way it's going to be able to be Banoi rebuilt again is Shmanei Aretz, Tala Shamayim, Rav Dogon, and Siresh. Shali Sirufa Be'esh. What Ramah Rutenberg is saying over here is, there's a time of destruction. There's a time of Eitan Kim. And the only way to get through that is to come to the Bismedrish to learn. In the memoir from the Baba Rebbe, when he went through the Holocaust, he was hiding in a bunker. And they heard how the Nazi boots were walking overhead. And everybody was shivering and staying quiet and fearful that they shouldn't hear that they're underneath them. And the Baba Rebbe, as soon as the boots moved away, he had to give them chizik because they just passed in front of their eyes. Above Rabbi turned to the people and he said, You and me together, we're going to build chadarim, we're going to build girls' schools, and we're going to build yeshivas, and we're going to build kailulim. That's the only nechama you could give a person when he's going through a case of Ethan Lechav. What are you going to tell him? Don't worry, your business will be rebuilt. Who cares? Last night we didn't save Ethan Lechav. Because if we understand Ethan Lechav of Rav Dagan Vesiro, Yishem Mishmane Aret, Mital Hashemayim, as understanding in the simple pshat, Maybe, maybe I'm Maybe Tisha B'Avitaka shouldn't say it. But if you understand that means a commitment that we're going to learn. And when it's hard, and during the week it's hard. We start the week saying, there are going to be times during the week it's going to be very hard. There are going to be times in the week we're going to feel Alekim. And the place where we run to have Banoi after Kharuv is Tal Hashemayim, Shemane Aretz, Yerav Dogan and Siresh. Abyssal Gemara, Abyssal Chumash, Abyssal Navi, a Mishnah, a piece of Zayar Kodesh. Whatever it is, it gets you through. But that's the only way to get through it. And that's what Miram Rutenberg, the G'dayle Olam, during that Kufa, is saying and alluding to in this Kino. That we lost the Torah. Now what? Because of the only way we can go through V'yitam L'cha Alekim, every one of the tragedies up until the point of this Kino, they were attacking our bodies. They were attacking our homeland. But here's the first time they were attacking the one thing that we can use to rebuild. And that calls out for crying. Because when they burn down our svarim, that we can't open a Gemara, and we can't open a Rambam to understand the shot in the Gemara, then Taka, we need an extra kindness for that. We deserve to cry special for that, because we can't have Mishmane Aretz anymore, and the Reiv Dogan and the Siresh. So as we didn't say it this year, one Matzah Shabbos, the only, the only way it comes out that we don't say Vitam Lecha, except for when it's Yantif, the way we're going to make it up this year, Mitzvah Hashem, is we're going to recommit to those two minutes after davening, five minutes after davening that we spoke about earlier, or any of the other chizukim that we had of putting away our petty differences. We'll be able to have an answer to the Shali Sufa Ba'ish, so Shalim Avalaich will have an answer as to why everything had to go up in smoke, why everything had to get burnt down. But in order for it to be banoi again, sometimes the Chariv needs to happen. We need to have that awakening of the preciousness of Torah. That was the first time it happened, but since then, the Sreyfus HaSwarim has taken on many different ways. And in our generation, it's taken on a, a form of the government getting involved in what our yeshivas can do and can't do. It's a different type of Sreyfus Ba'ish. When the government tells us how many hours a day we're allowed to learn, or how many hours a day we have to study science at the cost of learning, that's this kino. This kino of the government getting involved and telling us what to do. So we'll say this kino, and then we'll say... 
If Shwab's kin on Khurban, and then we'll say Eli Tion, I just want to off with the Khsam Seifer. Khsam Seifer says something that only the Khsam Seifer could say. Khsam Seifer says that there's only twice a year that we say after Eresel Adas. That's today by Laning we said after Eresel Adas. And then Simchas Torah, the greatest day, because today corresponds to Simchas Torah. Because there's 21 days between Shavasa Batamas and Tishabov. And, tw- and Tishabov is the 22nd day. And there's also 21 days between Rosh Hashanah and Simchas Torah. And Simchas Torah is the 22nd day. So today's Atta Haresul Adas. Today is Simchas Torah. As we sit here and we say Shalos Sufa Ba'esh, and we're wondering what's going to be with the Torah. But today is also Atta Haresul Adas, so we know the Torah we're going to celebrate. And the Chesar says that the greatest tefillah of all year, if you'd go around and take a poll by the Olam, what do you think the greatest tefillah is? One person will say Kol Nidre, one person will say Ni'ilo, one person might say Halalastim Bayer on Pesach, and one person will say, everybody will have something else they'll say, the greatest tefillah of the year is. The Chesam Seifer says, I think the greatest tefillah of the year is Aleinu L'Shabeach, after Kinnis. If you could sit on the floor, and you could cry, and you could have almost Kashas on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kashas of, why is this not ending? Why are we doing this again? We don't want to do this anymore. And yet we could get up and say, Aleinu L'Shabeach L'Adoyin HaKol. We have to praise the Master of the World. Is there a greater, more perfect tefillah than that? So Shavit says, no, that's the greatest tefillah all year round that we do. So as we finish up here, Shali Sufa Ba'esh, and we wonder what's going to happen today we can't learn. Everybody said, there's so much to learn today. Open up Shulchan Aruch, what you're allowed to learn today. There's, you can sit and learn for the rest of the day without being over the Allah Shulchan Aruch of learning Torah. Because exactly with what there is to learn, there's so much to learn. And there's many akinas that we skipped, and you can sit down and learn those also. Every single one of those are Alim of But I, I, I beg you all, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm sure none of you want to do this anymore. The only two things that the Abishah cares about is Sinas Chinam and Shmir Senayim. And as we said Thursday night, the Avisha doesn't mind period. Period is exactly who we are. It's period levavis that's not okay. We're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to have differences of opinion. But if it becomes that the fight of levavis and now we disagree, we can't look at each other, we can't talk to each other, that's not okay. And as we said from the Shem Shmuel, that's why Eichel and Pasha's Devarim is also laying in a krecht, in the tune of Eichel. Let it be our hope and our tefillah that with this kinnus, we do the proper tikkun, and we'll have the answer to the, all the tekus, and the nun will finally get lifted up. Nafla loisayisivkum. As the Prophet, the Lord HaMelech didn't put in the Tehillah David Nun, because he couldn't get himself to write that nun, that nafla loisayisivkum. But we hope that this year we'll add that nun in, and we'll end up having, instead of kinois, next year we'll have a full tikkun. Shali sufa ba'ish, l'shleim avilayich, l'shleim shachayim b'chataz avilayich. Shalomavilaye. <laughs> Ich <laughs> <laughs>
Pages in the article of Schwab's uh, Kina. What page in the article is it? In the article Kina, it's 386. That's one of Shimon Schwab wrote on the last Chorban. That sadly, there's very few of them that are still left around, and we could actually see. My daughter told me, my sister told me this Friday that she was in Poland this week, going to the camps with a group of friends, and they had over there. Uh, in Auschwitz, they charge you, charge you to use the facilities. And there was a, they brought along on the tour one of the survivors of the camps, because it always makes it more real when, he's it, when you have a survivor. And we have to hop around to, to meet these people. I had, I'll interrupt my story with a different story. I had this chutz this year to be by the Shasathon again, together with Mechavruso. And on the way out, there was a yid sitting in a wheelchair. And he comes every year to the Shasathon, and he's a Holocaust survivor. And I was standing there and talking to him. He was talking to Avi and Yisrael Muller. And I went over to him if I could see his numbers. And he proudly lifted his sleeves and I gave him a kiss on his numbers. Because there's so many few of them that actually saw what happened, that watched how these animals slaughtered our parents and grandparents. Shimon Schwab was from those that were in Germany that were lucky enough to oh, it was too late. And obviously he's crying over the Khurban of the German Kehillahs, but it's not only the German Kehillahs, it's the Ashkenaz, because we suffered, whether you lived in Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, Romania, wherever you lived, the Nazis and their barbaric ways came there. And this Kino, obviously, is so 
you know, poetically written. And since in our kahila we have so many of Yote of those kahilas. So even though there's another beautiful kahila by the Bava Rebbe, but we chose this one a couple of years ago because of it has more meaning to those that daven here and daven in this community. So therefore we'll say that kino. Interrupted my story. I never got back to the other story. In Poland this week, and she was in the in Auschwitz. They have facilities that if you have to use, and all the people to go pay. And there was one driver that rolled up. I think I paid enough, and he walked right by. Couldn't say anything. Basically, I think this is everything that we've gone through. paid enough. Some. Say
Come on, 